0: Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the UpNext in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie@mission.org at to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the UpNext in Commerce team. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond. With conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between, you'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who wanna break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. Today, we have two special guests, Pete Maldonado, the co-founder and co-CEO of Chomps, and Stacy Hartnett, the VP of e-commerce and marketing. Chomps is a better for you meat snack brand that has been exploding online and flying off the shelves of retailers. And it was bootstrapped from the very beginning with just a $3,000 investment. Welcome Pete and Stacey.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for having us. Yeah, I don't get to too often do like a roundtable style interview. So I feel like it's gonna be a fun dynamic today. So thank you both for saying yes to this
1: for sure we're happy to
0: so i want to start with the beginnings of chomps because it has a super interesting story of course anyone who hears okay this company was started with three thousand dollars from friends became profitable i think after 30 days it's an intriguing uh pitch for any new founder so pete i would love to hear you know how this company was started
1: yeah well uh so the, the initial three thousand two hundred fifty dollars was the money i put in my personal money and then okay. um it was actually Rashid matched that so that was uh, i kind of had already started the company um it was it was called logic meat locker when we first started out and the concept was very similar to like an omaha steaks um except we were selling grass-fed and finished beef and so it was very simple but like, we just kind of took that to the next level really targeting CrossFitters and paleo dieters. Um, when I say we, it was me, like I was kind of just starting this thing. I kind of started a little website and, um, uh, I found a, um, found a meat processor that could help me out with it and, uh, went to town, but I ended up kind of serendipitously met, uh, uh, Rashid at a poker night through a mutual buddy who made the, int- uh, introduction there and, uh, we really hit it off. I talked a little bit about his background. He was an operations consultant, and um, so for me, that was that was he he was good with the operations and finance side of things, which I'm pretty terrible at. So, um, I said, you know, very quickly, we decided that uh, we started kind of talking about a potential partnership. And so, the rest was history.
0: Okay, how long was it when you met him compared to when you were doing it by yourself?
1: Uh, It was only a couple months. I was probably a month or two into it. Um, and I had just Mm -hmm. built the pretty terrible website on a WordPress platform. Actually, I don't even, I hadn't even started selling yet. It was really just kind of like a website about to launch and I was just getting going.
0: How did you know the market wanted this? I mean, were you building something that just, you were like scratching your own itch and building building something that you wanted or had, had you done any like testing or questioning of people of like, this was something they wanted?
1: So it's kind of funny. I tell this story, um, Back then, I was kind of reading Tim Ferriss's books, and I was uh, uh, following his blog. As was
0: everyone, uh, everyone, right? And
1: so <laughs> yeah. uh, he had a guy named Noah Kaganon, and Noah, um, I think the the concept for the the blog post was something like start a multi million dollar business over over this weekend or something like that. And um, this was probably in two thousand nine or two thousand ten, where I actually read that. So I kind of started taking the tips that he put in there. And one of them was using Google Trends to establish, you know, search volumes and seeing kind of where these trends were. And that's honestly what I did. I mean, I I had started CrossFitting. I was doing, I was paleo dieting. And then my background is I was a personal trainer throughout college. So I kind of had these ideas that, you know, better for you snacks and these types of products would would be, you know, I think there's a a market for it. Um, And then Google Trends Mm -hmm. really confirmed that for me. But yeah that was that was the the extent of the uh the research,
0: yeah we're gonna have to tag Tim into this episode. He's actually recorded in this studio here a couple of times. So we're gonna have to send it his way and be like, hey, pete your poster kid. He followed you and look at this company now, yeah blown up everywhere because of that one tip.
1: tag Noah as well, but i and I actually gave you the link to the to the I found the actual blog post um and i I was mm-hmm. talking to Noah about it after and I introduced myself. I'm like, hey, dude, like I used your tips and and I actually started chomps and so kind of became buddies with him through that.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So you guys started in 2012 and now you're doing really great. Like how long did it take? Cause I always liked a level set for people. It's so easy to look at the brand and be like, it's flying off the shelves. It's doing amazing. <laughs> but like, what did that journey look like to get to where you are now? Like, was it a lot of years of just kind of like pushing or was there a quick success after you kind of found that, you know, your customer base?
1: No, no. So it's just like, I mean, that never happens, right? It's like, to your point. Sometimes uh, liquid
0: death. I mean, I feel like they, bang, just
1: I, I I guess so. But okay. If we're talking like maybe bootstrapped businesses like ours, like it was kind of doing what you could, you know, taking whatever wins you could possibly get. Um, Any introduction you can get, any opportunity to get your product in front of people. So whether it was sampling at a CrossFit event or a whole 30 book signing or um, or then, then it was kind of like partnering with bloggers to get, get them to write about the product and paying maybe a nominal amount of money posting on their social media uh, platform. I think what we found early on that really worked well for us was borrowing their email list. So paying them to, to send out a dedicated email blast. Um, we had mm-hmm. tried at the time, like doing sponsored emails where we might have like a chomps logo or an introduction whatever, but that never worked unless it was like a dedicated email blast. So that very quickly became like a Strategy of ours. I mean, it was kind of, it was very simple. Um, you know, and then again, just like that, kind of doing that influencer marketing. I think it may have even been before, like it was called influencer marketing. It was kind of just leveraging people that had a strong following in the communities that we were really trying to penetrate.
0: Got it. Okay. And what what year would you say you were like, okay, this feels good now?
1: Oh, yeah. I would say, t- well, 2013, we had an interesting win where actually Rashid was in Bali in his, uh, on his honeymoon. I was driving a big U-Haul from Chicago down to Naples, Florida, where we live now. My wife and I were on the road. I was following her. But I had uh, we had switched over to Shopify by then. And Shopify has, you know, the chime on the uh, whenever we get a sale. And um, and then so I'm kind of driving, I'll glance over at my phone and I see it's like going off like crazy. And I could not figure out why. But anyway, I see there's just like hundreds of orders coming through my phone. I thought for sure I broke something. I'm like, ah, well, whatever. I'll just fix that later when we pull over. When we pull over later uh, that evening, I look, I get, it at, I get it added again. And actually, Shopify is pretty cool because it'll tell you what the source um, referral was, referral source uh, uh, link. And so all of them are coming from uncrate.com. Have you ever heard of uncrate?
0: I'm about to look at yeah. it. Up. No, I don't even know what that okay. is. Okay,
1: so uncrate is, I, I Rashid explains it as like a Maxim magazine for like guys oh, with yep.
0: Yeah, it looks manly. Yeah, it's There's kind of curated
1: products. And they, I mean, they literally, they, uh-huh. they they feature anything and it might be like hot sauce. It might be liquor or a motorcycle or a car or whatever. Uh, and their editors, um, through someone that Rashid met, he and we sent some samples out to him. They picked them up and like months later, they say nothing to us. They literally just try him and then randomly feature us. And we're totally not ready for it. Uh, but they put us on the front page of uncrate.com And then we just got thousands and thousands of orders. I mean, we we sold through wow. the product within maybe a couple hours. And it the orders kept coming through like that for over a week. Neither of us were working it because I'm moving. He's in Bali on his honeymoon. So when he comes back it's a few days later, we just started scrambling, trying to fill all these orders. I reached out to every, every customer and I'm like, hey, listen, we sold out very quickly. We're trying to do everything we possibly can. Uh, but yeah... That that was like a, it was an eye-opening experience for us, I think, because it wasn't one of these kind of niche diet tribes, like the Whole30 or Paleo or whatever that we were typically playing in. This was just random guys that had some disposable income that were looking for a healthy snack. So I think mm-hmm. that's when it really clicked. That was like, this is big. Like this can be, have like mass appeal.
0: Yeah. So did you, after you saw that, did you start going after other publications like that? And was that like your... Main approach when you saw success with that one on Crepe,
1: we did it. We were never able to replicate it actually, but like not not interesting. Okay, you know, kind of like those curated uh, uh, websites. I don't know if they're just the best or have the strongest following or what, but that was it. Mm -hmm. Never happened like that again for us.
0: So how did you keep up momentum then? I mean, because that I feel like would be, I mean, it's like when they always say you want to control your uh, what dopamine levels and you don't want to have these crazy spikes because then you go into big depletion. And to me, I'm just imagining you guys being like this is amazing. Yeah. Like everything's up and up. And then you can't find that same, like, you know, publication to do something similar. And then you're like, okay, now it doesn't feel good again. Like how did you kind of get it to level out? Um, instead of these big peaks.
1: Well, I think what happened was it went from like a side, cause this was a side hustle for both of us. We were both working mm-hmm. full-time jobs. Um, when that happened, I, it obviously clicked something in your, in your mind and you're like, this is going to be huge. And suddenly you're now like much more passionate about it. Right. Um, and just, paying attention, putting more time and effort into it. So I think at that point it was just like, no holds barred, trying to do everything we possibly can to get the product out there. Luckily, I think, I think time timing was on our side um, to that point about the trends. I mean, people were looking for this type of product and um, and we were there to, you know, with open arms, trying to bring those customers in. Positive thing too, with being involved with like whole 30, very early on, I think we were, we were one of the very first whole 30 approved products. Um, started with, you know, Melissa Urban when she started it back in the day, We're still good friends with her today, but her platform just absolutely blew up. I mean, that was, she was on, you know, New York times bestseller. She's on Dr. Oz, she's on Today show, you name it. She was everywhere. Um, and so I think as she blew up that brand, it really gave us more and more of a platform, uh, to build our brand. But then it was the same thing with keto, right? I mean, keto, everybody's doing it even now. I mean, I think grandparents to young, you know, high school kids are doing, uh, keto. So that was another thing that we were in really early on.
0: Got it. At what point did you decide, okay, we should go full time.
1: Yeah. Um, I would say it was probably early 2016. Um, I was kind of already spending more time doing this than real estate, probably around like uh, right after the Uncreate thing and just, we were still just strictly e-commerce, but then Trader Joe's came along and they wanted to pr- carry the product that changed everything
0: how they know about you
1: through the whole 30 actually so oh, yeah okay. there was a family member of somebody very high up at um, at Trader Joe's that was doing a whole 30 was buying the product on our website and then brought the product home shared it with the family the whole family loved it and uh, they reached out and you know that was that was huge for us i i honestly thought it was a prank phone call Trader Joe's that is my favorite that was my favorite store to shop at mm-hmm. first off and yeah. uh, the fact that they were calling us was like I'm like, this is absurd. Like, they don't even carry branded products. Like, How would that even happen? But she explained to me, like, um, you know, they can make an exception for a handful of branded products. I think it was like 5% of the products they bring into the store every year. And she said that she wanted to make that accept- exception for us. And so we launched in, on August 8th of 2016, which was clearly a very big day for us. Um, we had a lot riding on it because it was a lot of inventory that we were selling to them but it was immediate success out of the gate. I mean, I think it was just, it clicked, you know, that's, that's our core core audience and there's just millions and millions of them going to those stores every day. Um, so yeah, overnight it was, uh, it, it really put chomps in the mat.
0: So once you get one retailer, that's usually how you get all the risks and you can be like, look at them, it's doing well over here. But before you expanded it to any others, what were maybe some lessons that you learned that you took on to like the future partnerships?
1: Yeah, so I think the good thing about Trader Joe's and for anybody that that shops there, you may not know, like their quality control standards are pretty intense. I mean, if you could get your product into in through their quality uh, checks, you could get it in through to anywhere, any other retailer. And so that was a good place to start for us because, you know, obviously you start with the hardest one and get through. Um mm-hmm. So that, that was a good lesson learned. Um, it, it made us actually focus on our internal quality control processes. So we put an entire, we actually hand inspect every single stick that we make. Um, we still do that to this day. So we were able to kind of scale that over time. Um, not an easy feat by any means, because we're making um, millions and millions of sticks every month right now. So you, you could just imagine how uh, how tedious it is to, to go through that. But it's it's part of what's makes our brand special um is the quality and i honestly feel like that's why How do you
0: inspect a meat stick like what does that it, look like it like looks you pick like it up and you look at yeah, it Yeah, so
1: they come in these these 24 count boxes like this uh-huh. and then you just take yep. them out we lay them out on a table and it's just looking at them because this side is uh clear so you're literally just looking at them and looking for any kind of defects that you can find um looking for packaging okay. damage or you know any of that type of stuff.
0: I gotcha. Cool. Okay. All right. So then at what point did you realize you needed someone like a Stacey to come into this business and just blow it up?
1: Oh yeah. So, well, we knew we needed a Stacey earlier than we got a Stacey to put that (laughs) to be clear. But uh, I think 2018 is when we really started building the team. And then Stacey, you started in 2019. When, When did you start?
2: It was 2018 in April. So yeah, almost four years now
1: yeah and i i would say stacy was an absolute game changer for us because Rashid and i were kind of just we're just learning on the go especially when it came to any kind of media buying or any of that um and she just completely professionalized the entire that operation so that just you could just see it on the growth trajectory of chomps it is a it was night and day
0: yeah i mean i see the some numbers here that she comes in and she drives a 291 percent increase in e-com sales I think you guys are at maybe like, what, 120 million, 150 million now? So she drove a pretty large, or is it more?
1: You can no, tell me it's, it's like actually, better. no, we're a little less than that. So we're like just, just over the $100 million mark, but yeah.
0: Okay, I'm just projecting right now. you guys are going to go. So I'm just <laughs> yeah. future casting your numbers for everyone. Uh, and then also a 32% decrease in CAC, which is amazing. So before we get into what you're doing at Chomps, Stacey, I'd love to hear a bit about your background, because you've had a cool path in the world of e-commerce. Yeah, um, it
2: was fun. So I actually started at News America or Neptune. So very large traditional sales vendor corporation. But it gave me the opportunity and exposure to work on big CPG. So you were working on huge package, good companies in the food and bev space, really through this formal sales development program. And the longer I was there, the more and more you heard about budgets moving to digital. I was like, okay, if I'm gonna stay on top of this and really take control of what my growth path and career path is going to look like, I've gotta figure out digital. So I actually, in the move back to Chicago, um, found a boutique agency, paid media agency in Chicago and learned all things digital, all things online, e-commerce, omni-businesses. Um, through the account management side. And then at the tail end of that, um, led the paid social team of about 18 people and really learned the ins and outs of hands-on media management. So through that experience, I actually think Chomps had approached them to manage their media, too expensive agency route. So they went and poached um, and found me, which is the best best thing to happen. Um, So it was a risk at the time. I would think I was the 10th employee maybe at that time. Um, And I wasn't a purchaser of the category. I didn't think that A meat stick was an an option for me and my snacking needs and kind of what I wanted for health and nutrition. So found Chums, fell in love with the brand, the passion, the innovation of Pete and Rashid and kind of this entrepreneurial environment and took a risk, jumped over, um, full in, (laughs) fully into it, um, managing just the paid media. So managing search and social. Then through just some organizational growth, had opportunity to take on the e-commerce business and most recently expand scope to overseeing total marketing, including the brand and equity and mission-driven
0: side of the business. That's amazing. So were you able to use some of your past experiences in Chomps or was Chomps such a different beast that you were like, I kind of have to learn a bunch (laughs) of things from scratch here? Uh, it was it was a combination, I would say. So it was a, it was a good
2: combination of getting back into to food and bev. I think I had had worked in the space. I knew what retail meant and looked like. And then I knew a lot of the digital levers being kind of owner of on-site experience through acquisition, into retention, LTV, CAC, like these were new metrics that When you're at an agency side, you don't have exposure to like these things are like happening inside a brand. And so the access that I now had being a part of the brand and not just any brand, but one that was truly focused on like cross functional, like core business insights. I was challenged very early to understand what I was doing and how it had a direct impact on the growth of the business.
0: Hmm, that's awesome. Okay, so it sounds like a really good jump then, going to just a company that you could have, yeah, insights into the whole process. Exactly. Was there ever a point where you were like, I don't know if this is a good move? Like, I'm a little because I mean, moving to <laughs> a I startup. In front of me and <laughs> I mean, like, I just always think. I mean, running as you know, a company myself, I'm like, there are definitely points where I'm like, should I keep doing this? Or like, yeah, so it's a good question to ask. Pete, there... close your ears. <laughs> close. Of course, there Um, are those moments. Of
2: course. Um, And he probably worked, you know, helped me work through all of them um, as they happened. Um, It's tough going in. I think, you know, managing media internally, like there's always this high at the agency when you click, you know, live on a campaign, but it's, and you want to feel that sense of ownership, of course, with all of your clients. But when you're dictating budget, when you know that this company was founded on $6,000 and you're executing live media, that's a different level of ownership and responsibility. And your patience for algorithms and optimization and learning periods is so much shorter than what it, like, what it was at the agency side.
0: There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this, go to work, Come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Were there moments that you you know took maybe a risk or a bet on something that then you had to go back to Pete and be like, ah, eh, okay, I just tried this and it really didn't perform like I thought. I mean, Pete would push me to do that,
2: right? Yeah. Like I think we had as an organization a tolerance for risk. Um, you know, he spoke to just in his opening story, like they diversified the media mix very early. So had we been able to say hey, we were one of those brands that were all in on Facebook and like we grew on Facebook. I actually think while that might've been more direct and maybe like less risky at the time, diversifying the media actually set the business up for ongoing test and learn and optimizations where you were able to like spread budget and allocate and take some risks and test budget Mm -hmm. as long as you were optimizing on core.
0: Yeah, Yeah, got it. So when it came to like increasing sales, I mean, what did you do to come in? Like what things did you start shifting around or changing? Because obviously you came in and had a big impact and I'm sure anyone listening is like, okay, I want Stacey's playbook. How do I increase my income sales and decrease <laughs> CAC? So what were maybe some like things that you did that really worked well with Chomps?
2: Yeah, and I, I think the the learning would be, you know, fast tracked now, I think to kind of what we initially did because we also had someone kind of managing 3P while I was pretty focused on on chomps.com and D2C. And I think what we learned very quickly was you have to be able to step outside of that and look at everything that's happening across e-commerce, everything that's happening across brand and community building and retail. So I think understanding where you're allocating that those dollars and how it impacts other channels. Like if chumps.com was having a good day because of a large influencer, Amazon was too. So understanding kind of core business objectives actually opens up your toolkit and you're more likely to be optimizing across multiple tactics and ch- sales channels than if you just were in your own lane and had a, a direct lens. So for an example of that is Pretty early on, like I came in and our our Facebook budget was large. The efficiency was pretty low. And so we had to kind of really take a step back and like, again, challenge ourselves, like why were the media dollars where they were when I came in? And while it's tough, understanding what needs to happen, pull back, optimize, then be able to kind of ramp up again once you really have an understanding
0: of what's going on. Got it. Okay. So you came in, you saw that a lot of money was going towards Facebook. You're like, doesn't really look like it's working like it should. You pause those. And then what? Like, what other platforms did you kind of suggest that Chomp should be on? Or yeah, how did you advise after that? Yeah. So we definitely pulled back. I think we looked
2: at all the acquisition levers at play and that included earned and organic. It included, um, you know, strengthening our retention programs. It included Amazon media and early Thrive partnerships. So we looked kind of at a customer specific level and all the levers we had. So P was writing blogs that are still live from 2012, like on our Shopify site. So they built into a lot of the, like we unlocked a lot of the ability to drive non-brand search early on. So we leveraged a lot of those programs to continue to optimize um, scaling into Amazon. Like it still makes me laugh that people have the debate about .com only versus Amazon versus like both, like the hybrid approach. So the decision was made very early to take advantage of the scale that Amazon offers and the ease for the consumer to shop multiple brands in one trip. Um, so we had all of those different places to reallocate.
0: Yeah, it is interesting hearing the debates from guests who come on these shows. I can think of maybe one or two people who were like, no, to Amazon. I'm like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure like 95% of my guests have said yes, but interesting take. Okay, I'm here to <laughs> there listen. There could be reasons, there could be reasons. <laughs> maybe, but the other thing that does come up a lot is um, I do hear a lot of, and it's a lot of founders talking about focusing on a platform. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering like how, you were able to come in and expand so much, which I'm guessing you did not have a team under you. I'm guessing it was just maybe you coming in and trying to do all that. Um, like, how did you- There was, there was there a team? There was a team. So okay, maybe I that's think, why then, okay. First I'm like, this yeah. is just Stacy coming in and having to do all this? Wow, that's a lot. No, oh okay. my gosh, I cannot
2: take that credit. There was okay. a team. And again, I think from from the founding story and roots of D2C growing into e-commerce, having that disciplined expansion into retail, like Pete and Rashid did invest in building team behind that. So small team, but it was, it was a team and it was, you know, heading into COVID particularly when, when that hit, we had such a strong foundation already to be able to build off of. I remember connecting with brands, you know, four or five, six times our size and they would have less people on their e-commerce team than we did at the time. So we were very fortunate. We were busy, we were scrappy, but there, there was some team there.
0: Yeah. So Pete, how did you think about, you know, creating this team which, with such like good roots that Stacey's mentioning? Like, what did that look
1: like? Let's talk about the way we built our sales team, for instance, our retail sales team. We did, did things like very differently than anybody else, right? So we would actually, we invested in insights and data and the more of like the sales operations part of it versus actual boots in the ground sales team. And I feel like that's really the way that we've we approached all functions within the business. So even the um, e the com side, it was more of like, you know, having a leg up on the insights and data and then like very, very smart people versus having a ton of, you know, media buyers or content creators or all of these different things. It was more of, you know, figuring things out, learning what you're doing and then kind of scaling the things that are working. And I feel like it was just kind of that slow, methodical approach from the beginning. And that was how we did everything. So and I, I feel like that gave us a leg up because um, I think a lot of other smaller brands, they just kind of throw a lot of just cash at whatever it is. They find something, they hear something is working. They don't even know if it's working for themselves. They hear that someone other brand is doing it. And so they raise a bunch of money and then they throw money at it. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's just time after time that just fails.
0: I mean, when you say you were investing in insights and data, like tell me more about that, especially when it comes to a sales team. It's so easy to think sales, okay, people approaching retailers or whatever it might look like to actually sell. But how did you think about kind of flipping that model and what did you invest in to give you like data?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously retail is easy because you've you've got, you know, spins data, IRI data, Nielsen, there's a lot of different options. But then for e-commerce, we were really just focusing digging into what's happening on our Shopify um, then digging into Amazon, um, focusing on keyword searches, where are we ranking, SEO, all of those things. So it's really just kind of getting into the nitty gritty of what's happening, how are you performing? And again, on, on the, finding those little unlocks. I'll give you a, an example, actually. One of the, the key search terms, we would get really creative about things too. So one of the key search terms we decided to test out was um, was targeting vegans, which were a meat-based product. Why would we ever target yeah. vegans? And Stacey could probably talk more about this. Was this before your time or was this when you were with us, Stacey? I can't even remember anymore. I
2: think it was like right when I started. Okay. Yeah.
1: So so we had this idea, like, you know, I I, I had this ink, this note, this like idea that I think that a lot of people are, are interested in veganism because they want to be healthy, but they're going to miss meat or they're going to come up with like health issues or some reasons why they need to come back to meat, but they're not going to forget the the things that made them drop meat in the beginning, Right. So what, what were those things? It was the nutrition, it was in, environmental impact, it was animal welfare. And these are all the things that we're already focused on as a company. So when they come back to me, they're not going to forget those things that they learned, but they're going to look for the better for you options, right? They want to the, actually the, the uh, more sustainably raised protein. And so that was the whole idea. So we decided, let's test it out. And I, I, that was our top performing ads that we had going out for paid, paid search and social uh, for wow. A long wow, it's so of time. surprising.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like sometimes vegans are so like set in what they're looking for. I'm just really surprised that they actually got swayed to your product. Did you ever have any surveys or anything asking like, what was it that got you here? Because that's a pretty big sway.
1: We didn't do enough of that, to be completely honest. I think we just kind of found what was happening, and we just, you know, we we would just pile on and you know, see see what would work.
2: And I think some of that speaks a little bit to like the evolution of the quality of data you have as well. So like if that vegan term was like an option on Facebook at the time, you could have marked yourself as vegan that one semester of freshman year at college like 10 years ago. And that's like pretty dated information. But to Pete's point, like that's a cue that at some time someone probably cared about what they were eating, what they were fueling their bodies with, what impact it had to the environment. So again, thinking creatively about what are these signals and the targeting options that you have and what does it mean today to reach that particular segment?
0: Mm, That's good. I love that kind of not just using the data that every other brand has access to and trying to find more signaling information. Mm-hmm. What are maybe other things that you guys watch that you think is maybe a little contrarian, or you're like, no one else is probably looking at like weather data in Florida when we're selling things? Or like, what are just some interesting other things that you track that help signal maybe where your customers might be or what they might want? It's a good
2: question. I think some of those insights come from like, basket analysis. So I think like as, I mean, this is a common evolution of kind of targeting quality, but as some of those signals and platforms like Facebook kind of started to diminish, like the power of of retail data and actual purchase data is huge. So like just like listening and looking and combing through some of those insights that your retail partners or e-retail partners are able to provide will find really interesting prompts in your basket analysis and find complementary things that could lead to a certain behavior interest that that community has. So maybe not a like huge unlock, but something that I don't think everyone really does. And then I would say reviews. Like if you have a really strong brand and active community and you've built all of this, like what better source of information and use cases and understanding of your product than your own reviews
0: coming through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like we're at a really interesting point now where that data is going to get so much easier to use and even pulling data that you don't own. I mean, I just saw like a new AI tool that came out where it essentially goes and it scrapes the whole internet for maybe Pete, like Pete's whole record of everything he's Mm -hmm. ever talked about, blogged about, thought like whatever he's been online about. And coming back and like surfacing that data to you in a usable way i'm like we are at a different point in history now where it seems like it'll be really easy and competitive now because everyone has access to everything where before a lot of the data's been like gated behind you know maybe Mm -hmm. a brand maybe behind a retailer maybe wherever it was but now it seems like everyone's going to have everything what do you think about quick evolutions in like the ai space or um, any of these areas that are really advancing quickly
2: I mean, I remember being in a room at the agency doing a sentiment analysis, just combing through. Your social team just sat in a room and locked themselves and like defined parameters behind a sentiment analysis. And now all of that's automated, right? Mm -hmm. You've got all of the chat AI tools that you can, with the correct kind of prompt, you can say, hey, now you're gonna act like a marketer find us consumer segments you can actually train the algorithms to come up with things like that and to think in a certain perspective. So I wouldn't sleep on it. Um, I would approach it with some, some, the right amount of maybe skepticism and kind of just ability to like apply the same test methodology to it, test and learn to it. But, um, I would say take advantage early. Yeah. Pete, what do you think?
1: I still think, I mean, all the AI stuff is awesome. It's That's great. But I, I don't think that, you know, getting away from just tried and true, just data analysis, it's like, is that, that never fails you, right? I mean, so like, I mean, Stacy had her team doing such digging so deeply into like um, some of the data, like finding out, okay, this customer bought this number of times and this is, was the LTV and those customers were... It wasn't just like when did they buy or how big was the order? Is what was the actual item that they bought? What was the flavor profile? And then what does that turn into? And so it was, we were getting really, really smart about how these customers are being introduced to the brand in the first place. And then what does that create in terms of repeat purchase and then overall LTV? I think those are things that many brands don't do enough of, um, but mm-hmm. we were doing very early on as a very small brand. So it's getting very, very smart about your customer base. Um, and nowadays it's just like, and really, and, and I think also it's just not being afraid to try new things. I think the point is to find the next thing that no one else is hitting. Right. Um, like one of, like, so for instance, like influencers, like we we have a lot of success selling our products, working with interior designers, which sounds like, like, why would that work so well? And it's like, but there's just a lot of overlap with the, with the customer base. Right. I mean, who are their followers? It's our customers you know, kind of be more, more affluent, probably, you know, maybe have kids, right? And it's like, it just, the list goes on and there's just a lot of overlap. Um, but I think a lot of brands just don't think like that. Like just think outside the box, What what is it? And like, what are these other communities that you can test?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Do you ever get uh, people poking fun at you for like naming it like a meat stick? I feel like that's a pretty interesting thing to name in. There could be a lot of comedy and humor around that, a whole new campaign. <laughs> just something I thought about before you guys came on the show. <laughs>
1: No, we, we get we hear a lot of those actually. So it's um some of them are in, inappropriate, okay. some of them are, are funny, but it's
0: <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm like, Stacey, there, there's your next campaign. It'd be so funny to get more women like me to buy it just to make like as a joke.
2: Well, that's, I mean, we like we actually, we learned pretty early on, like we've got to own it. Like I think it's some of the ads you try to hide it and it's a healthy snack. And there's this, you know, perception of what a meat steak is thanks to the Bubba brands before us. And Mm -hmm. Chomps is not that. And so we had to own it. And like, maybe our click-through rate wasn't as high when we were like hiding the product, but like owning it up front, communicating it, getting over kind of that barrier in the consumer's minds. And some of like the influencer content we partner with, like the ones who are like, just approach it directly. Like there's authenticity and honesty in that. And so we want people to be proud handing out their meat sticks to
0: their friends. Right. There's your quote right there. Be proud (laughs) handing out this meat stick.
1: (laughs) I think we actually had an influencer. I think, what did she say? Something like it's a meat stick. Right. Like some guy was like hitting on her or something like that. And she just goes, she's like, <laughs> yeah. what are you? And she's eating chomps and she goes, it's a meat stick. And then I don't know.
0: That's hilarious. Yeah. I need to follow her. That's my kind of humor right there. Like the more immature, the better. <laughs> we we made her a sweatshirt that said it's a yeah. meat stick on it. Oh <laughs> my gosh. That's awesome. You're
1: going to get one too, Steph, by the way.
0: <laughs> I want one. Send it to me. I literally will wear that. I'm telling you, that's oh, my, my, my kind
1: goodness. of humor. <laughs> Done.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that. So to wrap this up, I want to hear what each of you are super excited about in this coming year. So Pete, we'll start with you. Like, yeah, what are you really looking forward to? It could be something you're trying. It could be personally, wherever you want to take it.
1: Yeah. So one of the things we're doing right now is we're going to be scaling the team very uh, pretty significantly, but just about double where we're at right now by the end of the year. Um, So we're at about 35 people, we'll have about 70 by the end of the year. Um, doesn't wow. sound like a tr- big team, even at, at our scale, that's but it's, big. um,
0: once you pass 50, that's like the tipping point where then everything starts to break, I've heard. So. Yeah.
1: So yeah. as you <laughs> so can I've imagine, heard. I'm a little nervous about it. Um, you know, I've never built a team this big before, but I mean, we've got such amazing leadership I and mean, Stacy, you know, on the, on the marketing team and our, the rest of our team is just completely just awesome, you know? And so it makes life a lot easier, especially when it comes to onboarding and, and coaching people. Honestly, that's the big thing because that's it, we're just kind of here trying to get the bandwidth to be able to support some of the growth that we have coming ahead of us. Um, then there's some of the innovation strategy that we have um, throughout the rest of this year and then you know beyond. But yeah, it's exciting stuff.
0: That's awesome. That'd be cool. it be cool to bring you guys back once you get to that seventy-ish point and then be like, okay, tell me all the lessons that you learned.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sure there'll be tons. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll yep. be happy to share. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Stacey, what about you? I think the
2: same. I think team is really exciting for us. There's there's never a lack of ideas and things that we want to accomplish. So so bringing on, um, you know, a, a growth team of experts continued kind of building out that team of experts will be important um, in the in the marketing and e-commerce space. I think we're Really excited to continue the shift to support the business in Omni Distribution. So, we really, as we expand the retail footprint, are very aware of what that means for our consumers, for our customer journey, for the jobs that we have to do as marketers. It opens up a whole new toolkit, a whole new measurement opportunity and challenge um, to understand the impact of, of marketing um, and really scaling into a stage of building the brand and and driving trial and growth to support that distribution. So um, never a dull moment with an evolving growth business. Um, So this year in particular, a few of those
0: things are really exciting for us. Amazing. Well, I can't wait to follow along on your all's journey. Thank you for coming on the show today. For anyone who wants to go and buy some meat sticks, Where should they go? You can head to chomps.com. We have a, you can
2: purchase directly or check out all the retail locations we're found in. While you're there, make sure to say hi to our amazing customer service and experienced team. They always love to hear from you. Awesome,
0: thank you both. Thanks, Thanks. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast.